Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? Well, I'm really humbled and privileged this week because we get to witness a miracle. What's that? We played Disaster Report 4, Summer Memories. We played a new PS2 game on our PCs. (laughs) There it is. Uh, Yeah, we're talking about Disaster Report 4. It's a new PS2-style survival slash survival horror game. Uh, Yeah, it was canceled in 2011 and came out this year. So, I don't know, man. People love retro. Retro is in, you know? Yeah. People are going to love this game. Everyone is going to love Disaster Report 4. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But before we do, as always, this episode is brought to you by you. You can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to sign up to support the show directly, get extra content, weekly episodes, et cetera, et cetera. And as always, we're a game club. We tell you at the end of every episode what we're going to play next. You can play along with us. You can jump in the Discord and bullshit with us about that and any other topic that your heart desires. Yes. We also have t-shirts. Yes. We have t-shirts still. Uh, We have a limited supply, but it's all up on the Bandcamp. So if you see it there, you can buy it and I will ship it to you from my home. Stamps.com. Where's my sponsorship? Yes. And we also have a soundtrack that Ollie mostly did. I contributed to. It's really good. Yeah. It's our band that we do together called Zero Brightness, not just the (laughs) show. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, you have a, you have a a fair amount of cuts on there. It's sick. Got a couple of cuts. Yeah. 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 I mean, people are really, really hot on this band camp stuff lately because they're doing these cool days where they give all the money to the artists. Uh, but we just always have shit on Bandcamp that you can buy, and I'm gonna try and do something special for that next one. We'll see. Give me my pennies. <laughs> my pennies, Bandcamp. Yeah, we're musicians. We're happy with pennies on the dollar. <laughs> mm, yeah, mm. so happy. <laughs> just elated. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, okay. So disaster report four. Yes. We got to do like a big, a big rewind here because <laughs> I, I kind of expected this, but I was still a little bit surprised that when we started saying in the discord and on the show that we're going to cover disaster report for everybody was like, what? <laughs> we got some fucking pushback. We got some fucking attitude, man. Wasn't yeah. expecting that attitude from y'all. Damn. <laughs> Well, I mean, I wasn't expecting it, but I totally get it because I thought about it for like two seconds and I was like, nobody knows what this game is. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I hit that bargain bin at KB Toys in 2003. Yeah, exactly. No. So, okay. Disaster Report 4. It's the fourth in a series Mm -hmm. that in English is called Disaster Report and has some much longer title in Japanese. Um, mm-hmm. Starts with a Z, but it, <laughs> I think it, it means the desperate city. Yeah, something like it's kind that. Kind of a cool name. Yeah. yeah, but okay. So what's interesting about this game? Uh, the first game is called Disaster Report, uh, mm-hmm. released you know in on the PS2 in 2002. Yep, developed by Irem. Yep, of R-Type fame. 
Yeah, and Irem was like a big arcade developer, made a lot of shmups and, you know, 2D classic games. When they transitioned into making 3D games, they made stuff that had a little bit more of a budget feel, shall we say? (laughs) Yes. Uh, And the thing is that I don't even mean that as really like an insult or anything. I mean... No, not at all. Yeah, James and I are both really big fans of some of these like budget series that came out in Japan, like Earth Defense Force being another one. Yeah, Um, absolutely. These started, you know, a lot of these came out on the PS2 and kind of quietly got released in America. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of these games were about 20 bucks. They're kind of janky 3D, usually action games, but they're very like genre. Published by Agitech, which makes it like immediately like rare nowadays because agitech was just notorious in the ps2 generation for doing very low print runs of small games like this yeah exactly the original game definitely had that feel to it and i think for people like us it was very memorable and kind of something that you think back fondly on just because the sort of thing like you went to the whatever video game store and got it for twenty dollars or less went mm-hmm. home and got to play this crazy game that you're like, who made this? Why yeah. is this like $20 or $12 or whatever? And like, what the fuck, you know? Well, so the original disaster report really took the survival horror template and recontextualized it into a like natural disaster type game. Right. So you're escaping from earthquakes and floods, trying to survive, trying to help people survive. But it still has a lot of the survival horror tropes, like uh, limited item management, uh, item-based puzzles, and uh, item-based progression, things like that. Yeah, totally. Well, I read an interesting interview with the creator of the series who was talking about how he was trying to make a survival horror-type game where the horror was real. So, like these people are in an earthquake disaster and trying to escape from the city and Mm -hmm. that reality quote unquote reality component because obviously these games are not realistic like in the least but Mm -hmm. just making the scenario based in something real rather than something fantastical does like really really change the feel of the game and the things that happen in the game well, and I think a big point going to that is that uh, all these games have a bit of like Japanese slice of life, mm-hmm. and so I think if you're um, if you like grew up in Japan and had to like live with earthquakes and through disasters like that, uh, games like this might hit a little closer to home. Yeah, totally. And there's a bunch of like hominess in this game, like the sound of cicadas in the summer, and just like. There's just sort of a nostalgic vibe to this game. Yeah. You know, and I think I think that a lot of that has to do with the history of the series also, because, you know, uh, there was a sequel to Disaster Report called Raw Danger came out in the U.S. There was a third that never came out here. And then the fourth was being developed, but it was canceled due to the um, 2011 earthquake and uh, tsunami disasters in Tokyo. Mm hmm. So it hit a little too close to home, and the game was just outright canceled in 2011. Right. Uh, Yeah, and the way that this game came about was that some of the former devs actually bought back the IP and just Mm -hmm. started up work 
on the game again. Now, yep. what's interesting is that that really explains a lot about this game because this game <laughs> feels like it would have come out in 2010, 2011 and would have basically been like a glorified PS2 style game. I guess to sort of loop back to what I was saying earlier, I just feel like a lot of people coming to this game won't have a lot of context for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, even for us, okay, because I think we're both on the same page here. We didn't even have the full context for it because like I played the original Disaster Report. Then when I saw a new one was coming out, I was like, that's awesome. Then I saw four at the end of it and I was like, did I miss something? Like, <laughs> and it turns out that, yeah, because neither of us played the sequel because it came out as raw danger exclamation point. Uh, yeah. So, I was aware of its existence. I never played it. Yeah. Uh, I knew there was a third one. It came out on PSP. Uh, it was uh, Japan exclusive, so I never played it. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of knew of the series going on on the back burner uh, its whole life. But then when Disaster Port 4 got announced, uh, I thought it was kind of a big idea, you know, or, or, or a big deal in the yeah. realm of PS2 retro revival type stuff going on. Yeah. Well, and the original game, to me, and maybe a lot of other people don't share this viewpoint, but I think that the original Disaster Report kind of slots into that little tiny group of experimental survival horror games that came sure. out on the PS2. So the PS2 obviously had Absolutely. the big hits and the classic style games, right? You know, games like Silent Hill 2 and, you know, Resident Evil Code Veronica, Resident Evil 4, like whatever. But there was also a smaller group of games that were technically survival horror games, but they really, really experimented with the form. I'm thinking of games like the biggest one maybe being Siren for the mm -hmm. PS2. Yeah. which is like so experimental on every level, but at the same time, so deeply a survival horror game. Um, Echo Night Beyond. Echo Night Beyond, another big one. Michigan, Report from Hell. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, also then kind of thinking of stuff that's maybe a little bit less genre horror, like it doesn't have as much of the aesthetic stuff, but it's still all about survival and stress management. Um, and that would include Disaster Report and Lifeline. Remember Lifeline? Oh, oh, yeah. That was the one where you had the PlayStation microphone and you had to only speak to the character, right? Yep. You had to talk your character through like a survival scenario. Thanks. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's Seaman, <laughs> but less fun. Uh, yeah. Like if you thought tank controls were bad. Yeah. Try voice <laughs> controls. Yikes. Yeah. Voice controls via 2004. <laughs> yeah. Like the thing about all of the games we just listed is maybe except for Echo Night Beyond, which I think is is pretty slick. Uh, the rest of those games are all, because they're so experimental and weird, they're kind of janky. Uh, they're somewhat incomplete thoughts. Like there's things about them that are incredible and forward thinking and there's things about them that are just like, why did you do this? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, the original disaster report is kind of like that. It's a, it's a survival game. You have to manage, you know, all sorts of different elements of your character. You have to make it through different scenarios. Uh, it's very linear, you know, it's basically mm -hmm. like you move from area to area and the areas are very small and linear. So 
it can not necessarily the worst thing no no not at all it's just not like it sometimes looks like a survival horror game with a big open environment but it never actually Mm. is that like sure you're really just in a little area that you need to solve the puzzle puzzle room to puzzle room yeah exactly but it looks like a big city street yeah but i don't know to me the original disaster report is totally like in that world of experimental survival horror and like i feel like the people who played that game were probably mostly people who liked all those other games that we just listed and disaster report one was not a great game i mean it was super cool uh but it's it's janky yeah and a lot of the the elements didn't really work. Like there was like a thirst element and it was just kind of an annoyance, um, things like that. But you have to give it credit for being like ballsy and forward thinking and experimental. Yeah, totally. And I mean, one thing too, is that with this series, there is this, if you're not familiar with it or if you're not familiar with its aims, or even like you're saying, if you're not familiar with the sort of like, little bits of Japanese culture that influenced like this game, you mm-hmm. might not understand why there's almost like a visual novel feel to it or like sure. why you're talking to characters and trying to develop relationships and all this kind of stuff. And it's really just because this game is taking elements of that and trying to do something where the player is directly involved with the story, but in a very, very like simple PS2 kind of way. Sure. Well, before we move on and talk specifically about Disaster Report 4, I did want to mention a um, sort of side game to the Disaster Report series. It's called City Shrouded in Shadow, which is very difficult for Americans to say. (laughs) It only came out in Japan for the PS4. Super budget looking, like the frame rates get into the single digits. But essentially it's Disaster Report with Kaiju Battles. And they're licensed kaiju battles from, like, all sorts of series. So you're just, like, an NPC running around on the ground while, like, Ultraman is fighting a monster. And there's even battles from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Huh. So you can just be, like, a little survivor running around the feet of Ava 01 while Shinji does his first battle. That sounds awesome. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I watched some videos on YouTube. Um, It... It looks very Disaster Report 4. Nice. Uh, I think they're reusing assets, which is, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing or anything, but yeah, they're definitely on the same engine. They're doing the same thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. You mentioned that before, and I immediately thought of the uh, Nintendo 64 Neon Genesis Evangelion game, (laughs) one of my surprisingly large collection of import N64 games I used to have, Mm. and uh Man, that game was fucking trash. <laughs> it really was. It looked yeah. really cool, but it I had a like blockbuster shit. video that would play, uh, that would get import in 64 games. I don't know why they would. Oh, crazy. What they would do is um, if you take the back off of a Nintendo 64 cart and swap it with an American one, uh, the little tabs line up so you can stick them in your N64. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I so I started importing N64 games because of the two Treasure releases, which are two of the best Treasure games, which are like... Uh, Bangai-O. Yep. And... Bangai-O and Sin and Punishment. 
Oh, yeah, Sin and Punishment. Yeah, before it got the Wii Virtual Console release, the only way you could play it was importing it. Um, Neither of those games have any text that you have to read, and they're both, like, super fun. So I imported those because I found this. There was, like, a video game store in Hawaii that got all these Japanese games because there's, like, a bunch of Japanese people in Hawaii. Yeah, Um, for sure. And, like, I... uh, I was looking for a copy of those games and I found them and I just like called them on the phone. And so I like started up like a little relationship with like the person who ran the store. And it was just like, I would just call them and be like, Hey, do you have this and this? Or can you get this? And be like, yeah. Then they'd like sell it to me for really cheap. And like the first game I bought, they sent me, it was just a little plastic converter that you could just throw on your N64 and you could play Japanese games on it. Oh, that's sick. Yeah. So I had this little, it was just this little plastic piece. And then, yeah, when I sold all my N64 games, I just like found, I listed one Japanese N64 game on Craigslist and I found some other like nerd punk guy who just wanted to buy all my shit. I was like, (laughs) all right, give me like, you know, 300 bucks or whatever. (laughs) Nice. Met at the, the local vegan diner and he just took them all. Typical story in 2009 or whatever. Yeah, it was very, <laughs> was very typical. Yeah, yeah uh, you could even just use a Game Shark to play imports because it extends the cartridge. Yeah, yeah I think that's what most people I knew did. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone else who had the weird little thing I have. Like I said, it came from that game store in Hawaii, so I don't know. Yeah, I ended up just ripping the tabs out of my Super Nintendo. Because you could, like, totally do that with a hot knife with a Super Nintendo. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I have something called a honeybee for the NES, which is, like, a tiny cartridge that you put in, and it has a ribbon so you can pull it out of your Nintendo. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I never did the import stuff on the 16-bit consoles until much later. Like, when I had a clone console, which just mm. doesn't have the weird tabs and shit anyway. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then I had a couple. Like, I have a, you know... Gomon, a couple of Gomon games for Super Nintendo and a couple like Mega Drive games for the Genesis and stuff. Fuck yeah. Yeah, dude. Sometimes the Mega Drive games, I mean, I'm sure you already know this, but sometimes the Mega Drive versions are like way cheaper. Yeah, I've got a ton of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I got Musha on Mega Drive because the Genesis version was too expensive. Yeah. And now the, the Mega Drive version is crazy expensive too. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's life. <laughs> Shit's wild. Shit's wild. Anyway, disaster report four. Um, yeah. So you have all right. If I'm looking through the notes here and just going down the notes, you have a point here that I want to highlight because th- it's very important. All right. Uh, <laughs> and it's about the reception this game is getting. Uh, and you wrote, and I quote: "I never quote the notes, but this is just great, right?" Reception seems pretty negative from YouTube and traditional journalism, but series fans have been going to bat for it. Yeah. And the reason that I highlight this point is that I don't know how the fuck I feel about this game. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I sort of love the shit out of it, and it's so bonkers and batshit and weird and just completely out of time and place that I love it. But I also frequently hated it and also frequently had, like, no fun playing it. Yes. Yeah, it, there, there's really like, really, like, an extreme duality there. Because, yeah, like you said, it's out of time and out of place, but it's also 
completely out of touch in what a game is like fun for yeah so yeah this game is not fun uh, uh, uh at certain points another huge huge problem with this game is that it's 60 dollars? oh yeah and the dlc is another 69 dollars if you want everything holy shit yeah yeah i mean okay here's the thing we've talked about this so much so i'll try and keep this brief but i don't like to do the value per dollar thing with games just because i think everybody else does it too much and i also think that it is like it's predicated on a false narrative that gamers are going to buy every new game that comes out Mm. and it totally ignores the fact that a who the fuck does that and b a lot of people just wait for sales and wait for bundles and and whatever else so the price of video games is almost like illusory anyway and like the power of hype has just grown too much and people have these discussions based on everybody buying it day one right so that's my mm-hmm. that's my spiel however with this game why is it 60 dollars? <laughs> holy hell it's a budget game by nature it's a budget game the same way that i am arab it's in your fucking dna dude like <laughs> You know what I mean? I can't just walk out in the street and just say I'm some other race. I it's just not true. It's like this game being sixty dollars is like Rachel Dolezal saying she was black. Mm. This is absurd. Like you, you mean uh, Nikechi Amare Diallo? Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I did. Excuse me. I did. Excuse me. me. <laughs> Holy shit! You know, sometimes I forget about stuff like that, and then I remember it, and it's just like getting slapped in the face as hard as you can. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, why the fuck is this game sixty dollars? Yeah, I mean, I uh, that is a real, real like they were just being so optimistic, you know? Yeah, like were they just like expecting all these like diehard PS2 weirdos to pick this game up? Um, I just, the problem with it is that one nobody knows about this series or its history or quote unquote pedigree, right? And two, it, it, yeah, it's it's just budget in its DNA, like you said. Like this is a twenty to thirty dollar game, uh, and it's sixty dollars on Steam, and it blows my fucking mind. And See, you can't find a discount on it anywhere, no. really. Yeah, well, and here's the here's the here's the the leniency I'm willing to extend to this game which is that it is a niche release by a small company, right? It's the same way that like, if I make a physical product, my band makes a physical product, it costs a little bit more than a bigger band potentially because they can make and sell more units and get a better break, right? Sure. Like, so I understand that it's a small company, they need to make their money back and this is a niche release for a smaller crowd. So maybe I'm willing to say it's a 30 to $40 game, but it's a $20 game at heart. Like, yeah, well it's published by NIS Nippon Ichi software. Mm -hmm. And those people put out tons of games from different developers. And generally they're not at the triple a price point. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's still baffling. Yeah. I, I will say too, though, that like, unlike, some other games in the style or something you might expect this game is relatively polished 
Like it doesn't mm. have a ton of like really serious bugs, you know, crashes, mm. stuff like that. It looks pretty good. I mean, you know, it like everything comes together well enough that it's like, oh yeah, this game has like polish for what it is, but we know what it is. <laughs> well, there have been a there were a couple points during my gameplay where I thought to myself, like, Jesus Christ, this game is barely playable and broken. Uh, and I did get a couple glitches, and they generally had to do with like going between crouching and walking. Mm. Uh, so sometimes there's like a hole you'd have to like crawl through. But then I would like stand up like a foot into the hole and then like get stuck and then like walk through the collision on the map. Shit like that. Like, uh, yeah, there's problems. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any major glitches, but there's definitely design stuff that I was like, why? <laughs> yeah. There were yeah. parts where I thought were glitches, and then it turns out that it was just like really unforgiving design. Nope, that grandma's supposed to be on your back for that long. <laughs> yeah, or like hiding stuff around corners and things. And I was just like, oh man. <laughs> oh boy. Well, before we get into the batshit insanity of what Disaster Report 4 really is, I guess we should talk about some of the gameplay elements. Oh, yeah. Because it's not really a survival horror game anymore. Um, maybe the first two games were rooted in that. But this one is more of a... Um, I think I, the best way for me to describe it is if you had played any of the Yakuza games. It's, it's a bit like running around and doing side missions for people. Yeah. Um, in like large puzzly areas until you like finish the area and then a a path reveals itself to the next area. Each area might be like one or two like city blocks or like an intersection essentially. Right. And you you you, you essentially just run around everywhere until you trigger cutscenes and talk to people and that unlocks the way forward. Yeah. Unfortunately, if you're like me, I didn't run past the right people for like 30 minutes at a time. So I would be like stuck at one city intersection, like talking to the same people over and over, trying to figure out who the fuck I'm supposed to talk to so the building falls over and I can keep going. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the my take on this game is that it's a PS2 game, but they added in all this stuff that makes it seem like a modern game but the stuff is still programmed and integrated in exactly the same way it would be in a ps2 game so i think it's like a bunch of boomer developers came out of retirement to like throw <laughs> this together in unreal engine 4 it could be or they were just working as like you know low level people on other games or for other game companies then they're like no we're doing our own thing now here it is <laughs> um yeah so it's like you get things like choices that seem to affect the story or, or the events of the game or like events that seem dynamic like buildings falling over and stuff but it's all literally just tied to you going and talking to the right person picking up the right item etc etc yeah. Um, it's super linear. Uh, I think especially early in the game, you go into these big wide open square 
kind of areas and you're like yeah. like a city like a square in the middle of a city or an intersection and you're like oh wow it looks like there's so many people and so much stuff to do and then you run around and you realize that like no i'm literally just looking for the one thing that's here and then maybe a couple of hidden items you know yeah 95 percent of the human characters in the game are just like rpg npcs where they'll just have like one line of dialogue to tell you yeah, my favorite is <laughs> my favorite thing about this game, and it never stopped amusing the shit out of me, is that uh, there are like key NPCs who have names and storylines and blah, blah blah, but everybody else just has a description. Yes, and it pops up above their head as a little text line, so it'll say like "worried man," "flabbergasted businessman." Yeah, exactly. And some of them are like really uncharitable and hilarious. Uh, I took some screenshots that I'll have to share. Uh, man, this game is just so funny. But a lot of those type of NPCs too. I mean, it varies from area to area. But you'll run by them, and they'll like scream a line of dialogue at you. And so, if you're in a really crowded area, you'll just run by like twenty people, and just have like twenty lines of Japanese screaming at you all at once. It is like the funniest fucking thing i've ever seen dude holy shit it's great i mean dude i had so much fun with this game i forgot that i took dude i took hella screenshots i'm gonna make like a little uh photo essay (laughs) about my uh my androgynous character who i nicknamed megumi ryan japan's sweetheart perfect uh yeah there's just so much shit like that but anyway so yeah you basically go into an area you get the lay of the land, you can run around and explore, but really all you're trying to do is talk to the right person, trigger the next thing, move on. Yeah, and so the the game is constantly letting you choose between moral choices. Like, you'll walk up to somebody and be like, hey, did you see that guy that ran by? And you can say, like, yes or no, or play dumb, or try to play the hero, or... Tr- try to hit on the person or, you know, act like completely disinterested. Like it always gives you like eight or nine choices. Yeah. And when it boils down to it, like none of the choices really matter, but you do get some comical like lines of dialogue. Yeah. And some of them even get meta where you can like comment on the game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's like, I guess the reason I talk about all this stuff and it may sound like I'm ripping on this game, but I kind of hope that it doesn't because I'm trying to impart to the listener, if you have played this game or you are going to play this game or whatever, that like you just need to go in this game wanting to have fun and laugh at shit. Because like, yeah, none of the choices you make matter or change anything, but they do change the dialogue and some of that dialogue is like fucking hilarious. So let's back up a little bit because there's something we didn't mention. Uh-huh. At the beginning of this game, it makes you create a character. Uh huh. You can be male or female. You're coming into town, but you can choose why you're coming into town. Mm-hmm. It can either be like, oh, you have a job interview, or you just wanted to kick back at the park for the day, blah, blah, blah. But really, this game wants you to be a male going for a job interview. Yes. Yep. And so if you choose a female, a lot of the dialogue doesn't really change. So when you're a female, you can only flirt with other females and you, a lot of the dialogue choices seem to be like overtly like masculine and like tough guy, which is sort of hilarious if you're playing a female character. Well, the thing that really 
you know, the big tell for that is that the a lot of the dialogue is just like really traditionally gendered. And so like people talk to you like you're just like an annoying man. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just really funny because you'll be in a scenario where it's like you and like a woman and they'll talk to the woman the yeah. way that like in a really traditional gendered way, like a shitty middle-aged guy would talk to a woman and they'll talk to you like the way a shitty middle-aged guy would talk to like a twerpy man or something. And so it's good. It's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, this game, yeah, this game has big boomer energy for sure. <laughs> BBEs. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's off the charts. Um, I love it though. Like this is, well, our bonus episode this week is going to be about like what makes some shitty games great and some shitty games just shitty. And this game yeah. just has like that magic to where like, it's almost like a mystery science theater 3000 movie. Like, it yeah. sucks so bad, it's just infinitely entertaining. Yeah, there is a lot of that. And I think part of it, too, is, like, the role-playing element of the game. So, like yeah. I said, you well, you make a character, and you get to make choices for this character. And they don't work like they would in a newer video game where it would change the storyline or do something. Like, right. you don't even get, like, a report at the end of the game or something. Like there is no disaster report now. No, because I was kind of expecting something because it, it you get morality points. Yeah, uh, the morality points are super whack. Like they, the way they work baffled me from beginning to end. Um, like for example, you can save an old man's life and get two points, but you can sit at a cult leader's desk and pray for peace and get a hundred points. <laughs> so it's like it's so arbitrary once again big boomer energy <laughs> uh but yeah like it doesn't go towards anything i mean in your status screen it'll tell you what it thinks of you but yeah. that's about it like it doesn't change the ending it doesn't change like a cut scene or it doesn't change a relationship to anybody i mean you can be which is another hot tip like you could be whatever you want like you can be a horrible piece of shit and it won't really change anything yeah yeah i, I was I, I acted very heroic and i hit on everyone i could <laughs> oh god I, f- I felt like uh the fucking uh that space captain from futurama uh-huh oh yeah but i was yeah. like a female businesswoman zap franigan yeah totally <laughs> yeah I played as sort of like a mercenary good guy. Like I legitimately mm. wanted to help people and I didn't want anyone to die, but I also wanted to get paid. You didn't flirt with that chef though? Come on. No. Come on. It just seemed so inappropriate. It's like everyone's <laughs> life is in shambles and it's like, hey baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's about the level of flirting too. Yeah, exactly. It's so weird. It's so fucking weird. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, besides the moral choices, um, you've got a life bar, of course. And, like, every once in a while, you're just running around and you'll hear an earthquake after shake, aftershock start. Mm-hmm. And you have to, like, hold the square button and, like, hit the floor or you'll fall over and lose life. Yeah. Um, there's a stress meter, which takes away from your max health. Um, and then there's a hunger and bathroom meters. Mm-hmm. So every once in a while, you've got to, you know, like eat some onigiri 
or you know hit the head and listen to some like inspirational like japanese daytime drama music while your character takes a dump (laughs) yeah thank you for listening to zero brightness if you'd like to support us directly you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness you can also find and interact with us on facebook instagram and discord all the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com we'll see you out there Okay, we got to talk about this stuff because if you want to really dissect why Disaster Report 4 feels so much less like a horror game than the original Disaster Report, <laughs> I think a lot of it is like the pacing, tone, and presentation. I Absolutely. mean, this game has relaxing piano music everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's got really nice ambient sound. It moves at a surprisingly slow pace and you don't really have to be on your toes for that much of the game. Yeah. Uh well, I think a lot, a big part of that is that there's no uh, BGM while the game is playing. Right. So there's only like incidental sound effects as you're running around. Like there's cicadas everywhere because it's the summertime, and you'll like run by a tree, and in stereo sound you'll hear the cicada going by you because the cicadas in the tree. Yeah. Sounds like that. Like sounds of conversation and stuff. There's never any like um like dread filled music or anything. Yeah. And the pacing is intentionally slow the entire mm-hmm. game. Yeah, totally. And I also think, too, that there were definitely... I mean, because like I've only played the original game and this. I haven't played the two in between. So I'm just kind of comparing the two. Right. A lot of tweaks were made. Because all this stuff was in the original game. But the original game was way more about like being on your toes and avoiding obstacles. And then also mm-hmm. having to manage all of these stats and meters and stuff. I think in this game, there's a little bit of the staying on your toes stuff, but it's mostly early in the game. Later in the game, it's almost like they forgot that they wanted you to like duck if there's an aftershock and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then the meters, like they just don't seem to do anything in this game. Like, yeah. My character had to pee for like six hours. Yeah. Well, so the way they fill up is weird. It's only when you change areas. So, you can oh, run around an area as long as you want. Um, and then, yeah, like you can be super starving and have to pee for as long as you want. And like nothing happens. It's just like a weird detail in the game. Yeah. Uh, I don't really think you can die from losing your health either. Because every time you go to a new area or every time you save and load, your health gets filled again. Yeah. So, yeah, the health meter, you don't even have to worry about it at all. Like, you really have to fuck up to die from taking damage. The only times I died were usually just, like, accidentally walking into the wrong area or something. (laughs) Or, yeah, or, like, yeah, something's falling over and you get squished. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's weird because, like, it's got the, these elements that would make it a survival game or a survival horror game, but... The whole game is just so weirdly relaxing that like Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like if Deadly Premonition was only the like driving parts or something. <laughs> <laughs> only the city parts walking around the city. Yeah, only the walk around the city parts, yeah. There's so in the first game, there's a sense of tension all the time. Like the disaster's happening now. In this game, it's more like, you know, everybody's standing around in these like highway intersections just like trying to get by. Yeah. You know, like people are like, you know, they're injured, so they're like laying around, or like other people are like pitching in to stop a fire, or, you know, things like that. Um, 
it has that feeling of like, okay, well, what do we do next? You know, not we're in the middle of this disaster and we have to survive somehow. Yeah. Well, that was another thing I read in that aforementioned developer interview where he was saying that the original idea was to make like a realistic horror. And with this game specifically, they were trying to push that as much as possible Mm. uh, within the confines of the game, you know, in the game systems. So, and that's part of the reason why it was originally delayed or canceled was because like they were trying to make realism in the middle of an actual disaster like this happening. Yeah. Uh, And it's even funny to play it now because we're all in the middle of like a disaster pandemic and there's some timing boys (laughs) yeah yeah this game is cursed uh confirmed but there's like some some stuff in it that weirdly hits kind of close to home like Mm. uh instead of everybody coming together everyone just kind of acts like an asshole i think that's sort of a a recurring theme in this game yeah and like thank you republicans for making that normal (laughs) yeah you selfish fucks yeah agreed well and it's also like just the idea that in the middle of something like this people's like racial prejudices and people's bad ideas just sort of get amplified oh yeah like asian people bad how fucking dumb is that yeah i mean dude yeah asian racism is off the charts right now so Uh, fucking stupid yeah oh man yeah it's crazy we basically almost got like kicked out of an aldi because i had like a kufi wrapped around my face and then mm. but on the flip side yeah we have more than enough rice because everyone is scared to go to the chinese grocery store by my house so god damn it yeah it's fucked but it was weird playing this game and seeing that in the game and just being like oh wow like yeah that's actually kind of like a prescient mm-hmm. detail you know i just keep thinking to myself like i can't wait to go back to asia in real life <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah. All you rednecks can stay the fuck home. I'll see you later. Well, the rednecks, the rednecks are are actually trying to go out, but to get haircuts, not to go to Japan. Yeah. <laughs> All the rednecks with fucking patches in the back of their heads and like weird crooked fades really need haircuts. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. What? <laughs> they need their bowl cuts. <laughs> yeah, man. The great clips will still be there. Chill. They're getting like a five hundred billion dollar loan from the government. I'm sure damn your fucking gun store was already quote-unquote essential what else do you want (laughs) just shoot your head and do the nice haircut you want yeah exactly cut your hair with a fucking sawed off dude i dare you (laughs) (laughs) bullets are cheap dude yeah dude you want to fucking shut down city centers and protest quarantine why don't you protest being alive (laughs) bullets are a lot cheaper than tipping a single mother (laughs) It's true. It's all true. Yeah. And you can probably yeah. legally ship them in the mail to like an elementary school in America. God damn. <laughs> Disaster report for. Disaster <laughs> report for. This AKA game doesn't have game. guns. Yeah. No guns. Yeah. This game just has. I don't even know what this game has. There's no tension. There's no like deep drama. Uh, well, it's just a miracle. This game is a miracle here's one thing that really struck me is and once again it gets at that kind of like was this intentional or is this some like weird mystery science theater 3000 kind of shit but (laughs) in the same way that there's so much like bizarre humor 
right? Mm. There's also a lot of like really bizarrely hard hitting darkness. Yes. Uh, so like really early in the game, for example, um, a bridge collapses, mm-hmm. and the you can go over or under the bridge. I think you're supposed to go over, but I couldn't really see it. Uh, one small issue with this game is that there's things you can climb on, and it's really unclear about like yes. what you can and can't climb on. So a lot of times you'll just walk past something you can climb on because mm-hmm. you're conditioned to think you can't climb on anything. Anyways, long story short, I ended up going under the bridge, and literally under the bridge, there's just like dozens of dead bodies. <laughs> and so I just like walked over all these dead bodies and I was like yeah. legitimately unsettled. I was like, mm-hmm. holy shit. Or like similar stuff happens later on. That's a little more like overt or part of the plot where you're like, holy shit. All those people just fucking died. Yeah. There's this one uh, scene where you're staying in an apartment building overnight. That's half flooded and like half falling over. And in the morning you take off with your friend on your raft but the mother and child that you stayed with, like, immediately just, like, get killed in the building collapsing, and they drown and die. Yeah. Just, like, right in front of your eyes, like, the moment after you leave. Yeah. It's and like, it's never mentioned again. <laughs> no, and that's, like, it's horrifying, actually. But then it's also, <laughs> like, yeah, it also has this weird, like, funny, <laughs> like, comedy component to it, because your characters yeah. are just like, shit, all right. <laughs> Yeah, and there'll be points where, like, a, a highway collapses and everybody underneath the highway just gets smushed. And yeah. you just have to, like, keep going. There's yeah. no dramatic music. There's no... I mean, the aftershock is over and you just keep walking. Yeah, so it's, like, weirdly horrifying in mm-hmm. a way. And, like, that was kind of, like, as I was playing it, I was like, shit, like, there there are actual, like, real, like, horror elements this game. I mean, another thing that does need to be said is that this game, twice in it, like basically incorporates like sexual assault or attempted sexual assault into the plot uh-huh. line and mm-hmm. it's done very poorly and it's very it's cl- worse than like an episode of walker texas ranger or yeah something, you know it's very bad and clunky and i i was and once again i mean i was actually shocked like when that shit was happening i was like holy shit did they so actually badly handled yeah it was like what the fuck but like once again i mean if you've played that far in the game you know that like once again the boomer energy is just like like they didn't know how to fucking write this <laughs> they don't know how to deal with these themes there's really nothing like redeemable in them trying to do it or no way they could have done it yeah uh, but yeah. they they did it so i guess that's just like a fair warning yeah um but it's just like it's so weird the con all the different contrasts in this game it's so mm-hmm. weird so there are collectibles most of the game you're just gonna find uh compass collectibles everywhere oh yeah and it okay one you're never gonna look at the compass in this game no like ever unless you're like following a guide online and it says go east like Uh but you're never gonna look at the compass but there's like dozens of them there's like a cheesecake compass and like a hamburger and a four-leaf clover and you're just constantly finding these things yeah Um, so in the middle okay let's talk a little bit about this in the middle of this disaster you are literally collecting novelty compasses Mm -hmm. and clothes and backpacks and backpacks and you can change all of those as frequently as you want 
Yes. Uh, I will say as a side note to the cosmetics. So you you can change your your costume. You can change your makeup. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and you can change your fucking face pretty much yeah. as much as you want. Yeah, I mean, just go to the bathroom, look in the mirror, and carve your face up. Yeah. Just like a real life. You can get a new face whenever you want, which is crazy. Uh, but what's hilarious is that, okay, basic character creator talk. This is one of the worst character creators ever. Like <laughs> the differences between most of the faces are so minuscule and they all kind of have one of like four looks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you really can't make yourself kind of like what you're saying, where it's clear that the game wants you to be like a sort of slim, conventionally attractive Japanese male trying to get a job. Like it's the same for everything. Like you can't really go too far outside of that. Um, Mm -hmm. You do get some wacky hair options, but even then they're not that wacky. Uh, Like I said, I I opted for uh, the most like gender neutral kind of medium length haircut. Uh, Megumi Ryan, Japan's (laughs) sweetheart. Uh, but the hilarious thing though, is that like a lot of the stuff you find is just like stupid, but not in the way that you're thinking. Like my character only ever ended up wearing like two different outfits because they were the only outfits with sensible shoes (laughs) and seeing like this poor woman trying to survive earthquakes and high heels was like actually raising my, my blood pressure. So like, I like had to half the game. She was dressed as a convenience store employee and the other half, she was dressed as a cult <laughs> member. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I made her a power ranger. She was a ninja for a while. <laughs> uh, she was one of those like maids from the maid cafe. Uh, you know, she, she may have had cat ears for a couple hours of gameplay. Um, oh, right at the end, I actually made her cosplay as the guy from Death Stranding. She's wearing like a firefighter's suit that looked more like a biohazard suit and a baseball hat. Perfect. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, this game is better than Death Stranding. Oh, for sure. This is like Death Stranding for everybody else, which is why it should be $20 so everyone can yeah, play it. Yeah. Uh, as somebody that hasn't played Death Stranding, I can positively say that this game is better than Death Stranding. Oh, yeah. Same. As someone who has never and probably will never play Death Stranding, this game is better than Death Stranding. As, as tried and true games journalists, yes. we can honestly say that Disaster Report for Summer Memories is greater than Death Stranding. As professional gamers, we yes. can say that Disaster Report for objectively on the GamePro Fun Factor scale is at least 1.5 notches and or three faces above mm-hmm. death stranding it's on fire <laughs> okay i'm Fun not gonna factor go that five far. 5.0 <laughs> i'm not gonna go that far but uh mm-hmm. it is hilarious yes one of the biggest problems in this game is that um to me a lot of the areas feel really empty you know i wish there was just a little more RPG side questiness you could do in each little area to like help people um, even if it's just minor stuff like oh I need water and then you get a bonus um, a lot of times you're just like going through it and you find things uh, I feel like the best parts of this game is when you're like creating quote unquote like little relationships with all these 
minor characters. This game has a uh, great roster of small characters. Sure. You know, there's this one point where, like, there's these two warring neighborhoods, right? And it's like a Romeo and Juliet thing where, like, the kid from the poor neighborhood's in love with the kid, the rich kid, and you have to get them together because the, the, the disaster has torn the two neighborhoods apart. And so you have to do this little detective mystery to find out who burned down the house blah 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 to yeah. get these two kids together and they and the kids wearing a beans shirt the shirt says beans in huge and like, letters yeah and it's just so great you know yeah and then well, that's the name of his family's restaurant is just yeah, beans. beans his dad wears the same shirt yeah yeah you have to help his dad like put together like all these ingredients to make food for everyone in the neighborhoods yeah. And then there's a recurring character of like a convenience store manager who's kind of like a scam artist. Yeah. So he'll like show up in random convenience stores and act like the manager and like hike up all the prices 20 times. Yeah. And then there's like a, a recurring character. He's like a, a tech CEO and he's always like bitching about his like stock prices and stuff. Yeah. You can totally. kind of like follow that little thread. Yeah. There's a girl who busks on the street, plays guitar and sings, but when she does, like, a full band arrangement of, like, a Japanese pop ballad <laughs> plays, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then guys show up to tell her to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and you can, like, try to fight the guys because you're a macho, macho yeah. man. <laughs> There's a whole gang at the Italian restaurant that's flooded, and they're all, like, trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. There's a grandma that, goes, you know, you piggyback ride this grandma for like 20 minutes in this game. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so many fun little slice of life storylines and characters. Uh, I think, you know, one thing that has to be said is that this game has an obscenely slow pace uh, in a lot of ways, but it both helps and hurts the game. Like, it totally. helps because you really get into the rhythm of all these just little slow moving inconsequential storylines and you like it just is relaxing yeah but at the same time it's like all the cutscenes are super slow everything you do is slow like every time you open a menu it's slow if you open a door there's like a super long complicated animation oh god yeah it's like deadly premonition but like at least in deadly premonition you could like bum rush the door and like speed yeah. it up no in this game no. there's like you're really committing to opening that fucking door. Like, the screen will fade to black and then fade back in, and then the animation of her opening and closing the door will play. Yeah, for sure. And it's even like. Baffling. Yeah, some of these storylines are actually. The reason I bring this up is that some of these storylines are actually hurt by this fact. So, like, there's yeah. one sequence in, like, a school's front yard mm -hmm. uh, where they've set up, like, a shelter and. It's really simple story, but like you have to go and do the exact same like action prompt in between every story beat. So it's like you wait for the cutscene to load and fade from black and then it fades out and then you run and you do this thing, run back, and you see another cutscene. And like it does this like eight times. And by the end of it, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. I am so fucking over this. But like <laughs> it's not a bad storyline or a story beat. There is like once well, again the, the moral choice aspect of it is fucked because like mm -hmm. you can't choose not to do the wrong yeah. thing but you yeah. can choose to later feel bad about doing the wrong thing okay well the scenario that you're talking about 
is one of my mini like batshit insane scenarios for this game that I have a sure. list of. Yeah. And so, spoiler alert drop here. Let's talk about some of these absolutely batshit insane scenarios because they're fucking hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So the one Ollie is talking about is that like you give this random kid some water and then the kid starts feeling better. And then so like it starts this rumor that like your character somehow has this like fucking miracle water. <laughs> but like you never tell anybody that. But then like people start showing up like, hey, can I have some of that miracle water? And like every time you do, you actually just like run to the back of the school and like get some water that's like dripping off the roof gutter. And it's clearly dirty. It's brown. <laughs> like it's brown in the bottle. So you keep running back to the crowd and like giving them the miracle water and the crowd gets bigger and more people show up. And so you keep going back and forth until you like get like this huge crowd of people. And then like uh, the guy that's running the shelter like puts you on stage in the cafeteria at the school for you to talk about the miracle water. And then everybody ousts you as like a charlatan and throws you out. Even though there's like literally nothing you can do morally to not become a charlatan. Yeah. And then you're you're thrown out of the school with your foreigner friend. Yeah, and there's like this whole point about how everyone's racist towards yeah. them. It's a really weird sequence that once again it mixes this like grim social realism with like yeah. this really absurdly stupid scenario and like yeah. more and more powerful people keep start showing up. Yeah, like and eventually you're just giving the mayor miracle water and it's like <laughs> the hilarious thing okay now here's another problem with this game's design being like so linear and so simple is that if you don't get into the mindset of this game where there's one thing you have to do you need to search it out and do it you can waste a lot of time so like you'll be able to see either the ultimate solution but not be able to do it yet because you haven't talked to the right person or you'll be able to see like the logical solution and not be able to do it. So like I found, for example, in that scenario, right in the beginning when they're like, we need to get water for this kid. I found a stash of bottles and then like a pot on a burner. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to take one of these bottles and then I'm going to get this water because I'd already found the water. And then I'm yeah. going to boil it to purify it and then like give it to this kid or whatever. Nope. Nope. I just had to talk to the NPC who was standing right next to the kid that I didn't see because they had accidentally clipped out. That was a glitch that I ran into. Yeah. Um, people disappeared in that parking lot. A yeah. Lot. Yeah. That parking lot is cursed. Um, <laughs> but like I didn't talk to that person and get the dirty bottle that they already drank out of to go get this kid even dirtier water. <laughs> it's just like it's so weird. And that part actually took me forever. And I reloaded my save a couple times just because those glitches or things yeah. that I thought were glitches were happening. And then things that were glitches were happening. And I got really confused. <laughs> that was like the worst part of the game. Technically that could have actually been like a decent mm. part of the game story wise for me, but that I am getting uncomfortable just talking about that part of the game. Cause I just was so unhappy. <laughs> you forgot the granny part. Okay, well, going off of that batshit insane scenario, you and your foreigner friend are thrown out of this school. And then later on, you're in this burned out part of town. And you come across your foreigner friend, like, dying in an alley. And he's like, oh, I need help. Uh." And you're like, 
oh, don't worry, I'll go get you some paramedics. And, you know, luckily in the same area, there is an ambulance with like three paramedics hanging out next to it. No matter how much you talk to them, they're only like basic NPCs, so they'll only give you one line of dialogue. There's nothing you can do to get the paramedics to go check on your dying friend. Yeah. So you just leave. Yeah. And you just okay. leave the guy fucking dying in an alley. <laughs> well, and it's like, dude, it's just the whole design of the game where it, once again, it hints at something that you would see in a modern game where there's like a moral choice or yeah. a quest to complete or something. And there isn't. This is a PS2 game. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because that same area, you have to go on this like ridiculous side quest. Uh, there's a bunch of kids like dead and buried like in this like little corner lot and you have to go find flowers to like pay respects for them. Sure. So you go on this like crazy little side quest to like get these flowers and bring them back to the graves. So you expect the same thing with your foreigner friend, but no, he's just going to die in an alley. Yeah, that's it. No. God bless. Oh my God. Another one of my favorite side quests or batshit insane scenarios that uh, you mentioned earlier is uh you become a cult leader in this game mm-hmm. <laughs> there's one part where these like people with white t-shirts come and talk to you and they're clearly like charlatan like idiots trying to get people to like sign up for this cult and uh you go down to their headquarters and like everybody's like eating like lavish snacks and everything and so you get the side quest to go like recruit people for this cult you end up recruiting a bunch of people by running around like a jackass in circles for half an hour, which is basically half this game. Yeah. And once you, once you get enough people to join the cult, you actually like become the cult leader because the old one just like asks you for some reason. Yeah. So you're just like sitting there in this like lavish office while everybody else is like having a party next door, like eating like little finger cakes and shit. So weird. Well, and even that part is, once again, a great illustration of just how little you actually can, like, affect anything in the game. Yeah. Because, like, you can, you have to choose to be the cult leader to progress the game. You have, that scenario is another part of the game that really frustrated the fuck out of me. Because it's like, you have to do these really specific things, and they make no sense, and you would never choose to do them, like, in any reality but that one was super annoying because if you choose not to be the cult leader, it's, he's just like, okay, well tell me if you change your mind and then (laughs) you can just leave and like do whatever, but the game won't progress until you go back, have Mm -hmm. the same conversation and choose the other choice. Well, and and you have to recruit three people Yeah, and you can't recruit all three in any order you want. Like the option to recruit the second person will not show up until you recruit that first person. Oh, really? So it's mind-bogglingly, mind-bogglingly insane just, like, running around in this, like, square, just trying to, like, get close enough to everyone to trigger cutscenes. Yeah. So annoying. So fucking annoying. Yeah. See, what's funny is I guess I accidentally did that part right. So I did that part in, like, a minute, but then I went back and talked to the cult leader, and then he was like hey, you should lead the cult. And then I was like, no, I don't want to lead a cult. I just want to leave. And so I went back out and then just did it again and recruited like five. You can keep recruiting people as long as you want. Yeah. And so I recruited like five more fucking people and played for another half an hour. And then I was like, what is going? Then I just went back and talked to the guy again. And I realized that I had to like, I had to accept. So that was when I started using a guide because I was like, 
this is so dumb. <laughs> there, there's one part of the game where you and your friend are locked in a like garden storage shed for being accused of arson, uh-huh. and the screen is just black until you choose the right like text adventure options to like get someone to unlock it. Yeah. Um. There's this. You know, we keep talking about it. There's this one point where like this grandma like hurts her ankle. And you have to give her, like, the longest piggyback ride in, like, the history of video games. Yeah. And you're, like, you know, like, walking over buses and on, like, third floor, like, apartment complex, like, like, thin, uh, uh, it's just a fucking mess. Uh, Well, yeah. And it's even funnier looking than you're imagining if you haven't played the game, because you can just, like... You can't jump, but you can drop as far as you want and not take damage. Yeah. So you're just like walking on a flat plane with this grandma on your back, and you just like suddenly drop like 15 feet, and you're fine. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, there, there's this one part in the game where you're in a flooded apartment complex. You're trying to build a rope out of three different things. Oh, God. And when, when you get out onto the balcony of these apartments, you're given a choice. You're given a choice to uh, walk across a beam to the next apartment or carefully walk across <laughs> the beam to the next apartment. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so dumb. And, like, oh, man. Okay, so, like, this game doesn't tell you shit and nothing in it makes sense. So, like, when you're doing that rope puzzle, <laughs> if you're not using a guide, you'll get stuck because there's a sub menu that you never have to open except for twice in the game where you can like combine items yeah and like it there's just so much shit like that and stuff like that where it's like you get a prompt and it's just like if you're a certain kind of person it'll just immediately make you like panic a little bit because it's like well obviously i want to walk across carefully unless i'm not supposed to walk across carefully why would it let me not be careful and then you're just like spiraling okay that 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 rope puzzle was the part of the game that like broke me i had to like turn it off and take a break yeah because there's these like huge apartment complex blocks and two of the parts of rope are in the current block but then you have to backtrack on your raft to the previous apartment block to get the last piece of rope and the raft sucks driving the raft is horrendous yeah and so i got all the way to the end of that puzzle and then realized i didn't have the last piece and the apartment complex is sort of like a maze. It's I a huge maze. I couldn't get myself back to the fucking raft. And the solution was to turn the game off and then like replay it the next day so I was at the save point again. Yeah. It was a no. fucking mess. That part took me forever and it's horrible. I mean, that's like yeah. that's a, a recurring theme in this game or throughout this conversation about this game is that like there's parts of it that are amazing and hilarious and funny and then there's these sections of it that are so bad that if you don't feel super compelled or have some really good reason to finish the game you are not going to finish this game it's a short game it's like seven hours like not a long game but there's so many parts and roadblocks that it throws up to just be like no (laughs) oh my god those static camera angles in the apartment complex nope oh my god can't do it rounding a corner and then all of a sudden you're running the wrong way classic ps2 move camera yeah. that works fine outside and you go inside and it's just like starts having a fit it's yeah. nuts it is so bad 
there are parts where you have to swim underwater to get to another apartment. Oh, no. You don't really have to worry about air. That's not the problem. You have to worry about knowing what the fuck to do. Because the item you need is, like, hidden in a box in a closet with, like, no indication that you're supposed to be checking this box. Yeah. And there are other boxes floating around that you don't need to check. Yeah. Dude. It's uh, baffling. It's so dark-sided. So, speaking of the raft, you know, there's there's raft parts where you and your friend are pushing a raft through the water. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a part where you're on, like, a motorcycle, which is, like, hilarious and half-baked. Yeah. There's like vehicle parts. The aforementioned uh, granny piggyback section has yeah. a, a subsection where you pull her in a rickshaw. It's yeah. like pretty funny. Um, yeah, these all control like shit. It's hilarious because on the part with the uh, motorcycle, you have a companion during that part of the game, and each of you has a motorcycle. But I, apparently, they didn't know how to like program your companion on the motorcycle. So you're just driving by yourself, and then when you get to the end of the highway where the next scene is going to load, your companion just, like, pops up on their motorcycle. Yeah. It's just baffling. Yeah, the companions are super hilariously buggy. They'll get stuck on stairs and doors and stuff, but luckily you don't have to worry about them. They'll just warp to where they need to be. Yeah, they just appear. Yeah, it's good to know that, because, like, the first companion you get the first time you see her, she immediately gets stuck in like a stairway that there's just no way for her to traverse. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really funny. It's really bad. It's a miracle. But yeah, you know, I guess if, since we're talking about some of the really shitty bad stuff. Um, yeah. Like we said before, all the, the gender and sex stuff is like bad. Mm. Um, like, no, you shouldn't try and hit on everyone you meet in a disaster, like shell shocked people. Uh, you shouldn't do that. High school students. You shouldn't hit on high school students ever if you're a fully grown adult. Um, that's not good. Uh, yeah, the the ways that incorporate sexual assault in the story are very, very bad. Uh, mm-hmm. Once again, I guess like the whole gender thing, it's like so clear that like some like 55 year old dude like yeah. or, or is yeah. just like, this is fine. And everyone else playing it is like, this is not fine. <laughs> well, to finish off my list of batshit insane scenarios, this game comes to a climax <laughs> when you're being human trafficked and you build a fucking bomb to blow up the ship uh-huh. that you're being trafficked on. And let's talk about this, because as soon as you <laughs> set the bomb, you get a hundred quote unquote immoral points. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you're doing it to literally save innocent people from being fucking human trafficked? Yes. And how does this Japanese businesswoman know how to build a fucking bomb? There's so many questions in this game, but that was the big one. Like, once again, it's right at the end of the game. You've already realized that the moral points element of it is just such hot garbage. (laughs) But then, like, I set this trap to save my friends and immediately, boom, hundred immoral points. And I'm just like, excuse me? I guess guess it was to balance out the hundred free points I got for leading a fucking cult. Yep. Yeah. Jesus Christ. God bless. Yeah, so I mean, once again, let's uh let's circle back here. How do I feel about this game, James? I don't know. I still don't know. It's just it's such a mess, but like I said, it's a charming mess. 
we'll get into what that means on our bonus episode this week because, you know, people love Deadly Premonition. Mm-hmm. The game's a fucking mess, but it has charm. It it it, it has it's charming and it has that like zhuzh that somehow makes it like a little bit of a flawed masterpiece. You know, right? Something like The Room or Freddy Got Fingered. I don't know. Um, but then, this is know, definitely like, more like Freddy Got Fingered than Deadly <laughs> Premonition is. You know what I mean? This is more towards that side of the scale for sure. But there's so many bad games that come out. You know, so many shitty games that are just not interesting at all. Yeah. And this game is not that. It's shitty but great. You know, I don't think people are going to give this game the praise that like Deadly Premonition got. Uh I don't know if fucking Jim Sterling played this fucking game or not. Yeah. But I think it might need to be looked at in that lens because I think Grandzilla did society a service by putting this game out. And I want to see Granzella put out the next Disaster Report also. Because this series has always had potential. It's so unique. It's so inherently Japanese. Um, I think it's got tons of charm, tons of potential, and this series needs to keep going. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that last point. I think... Yeah, this game is super Japanese. Everything from, like, the soothing piano music everywhere to, like, the visual novel slash dating sim elements randomly shoehorned in to, like, I don't know. There's just so much of that. Public transportation. Yeah. Convenience stores. Just the aesthetics. Like, it so has that, like, late PS2, early PS3 kind of aesthetic with, like, soft colors you know kind of like soft serif fonts like yeah piano music everywhere like if you like that era of games or you're familiar with that this game is kind of immediately familiar in a way that is actually kind of sweet Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's also funny though because like this game was so frustrating at times and so unfun at times that i feel super done like I don't think I'll ever replay this game, you know? Right. There is an epilogue. If you start the game up again after you beat it, you can play the game during Christmas. And uh, stuff is not, like, broken anymore. And you can actually do a couple, like, mini-missions in areas that that were previously destroyed. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, but, like, I didn't do that. Because yeah. I was like, I mean, like, like when I was playing this game, I, I did have quite a bit of fun. Like I said, like, there's so much to laugh at. There's so much weird, funny shit that, like, I played it over the course of about a week. And, like, my nightly routine with this game was to, like, drink a beer and play an hour of this game and just, like, laugh for at sure. least 15 to 20 minutes of it. <laughs> and, like, that was really fun. And I think this game, I actually really wanted to stream this game, but I didn't really get shit set up in time. Um, slash, I haven't worked out how to really schedule that kind of stuff yet. Mm-hmm. But I was like, man, this game would be so fun to play with other people or to like play as a social experience in the just same way that my it. first. Just yeah. riff on it. Yeah. Like it's the same way that my first experience with Delhi Premonition was like me and my sister playing it and just being like, mm. what the fuck is this? This is amazing. Yeah. Like, I feel like disaster report for playing alone kind of misses that. And it 
in my opinion, I think it needs that to make up for how like dumb parts of it are and how like (laughs) frustrating parts of it are. Yeah. I also feel like inherently the $60 thing is such a huge problem because I feel like nobody's going to play this game until it's cheap. Yeah. And like, okay, well, one, apparently the switch port is a utter mess. Like avoid the switch port. And two, $60. I, I, I'm, only an insane person would recommend you buying this game for $60. Yeah, totally. This is a $5 game. I'm going to say it. I would be... Com- well, let's, let, let me put it this way. I would be comfortable recommending this game at 5 to $10, probably. <laughs> well, like I, I got said... I got Deadly Premonition for 2 bucks on Steam. That's what I'm saying. Well, I paid $30 for Deadly Premonition on a Switch, and I had no problem with doing it. I thought yeah. it was great. I loved it. You know, like, like, here's, like I said, I'm... I'm willing to say that because this is a niche game. It's for people who like those PS2 games that we listed at the start of the episode. Like, you love Siren. You love, you know, Lifeline. Mr. Uh, Mosquito. Yeah. Like, this kind of stuff is cool to you. It's what you really like. You're in that niche. So they make a new game. 20 to $40, I could see. But for a mass audience... 20 is the highest and i also feel like it's just 60 is it's not for anybody yeah i mean if, if you don't take your life that seriously and you want to just have some fun and have some laughs this is a great game for that just don't take it seriously you know yeah totally just and don't try and win or complete it or anything like just do whatever you want. Make your character say whatever weird shit you think is funny. Do whatever oh. weird shit you think is funny. You remember that woman that like murdered the jewelry store owner? Oh and then, yeah. Like, the next time you see her, she's like wearing all the rings and shit. Yeah. <laughs> that was insane. Yeah. Like we didn't even touch everything that's in this game. No. Not even close. Like no. There's just so much funny and and weird shit. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's difficult. It's hard to talk about because like, there's just so much of it is not that way. And so much of it is just fucked. (laughs) Well, I hope somebody out there plays this game because of us and then jumps in our discord and talks with us about it because it's just so fucking bonkers. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. It's never going to be like the size and scale of like Deadly Permanition. But at the same time, I mean... Grandzella, those like 50 year old dudes developing this game they, they've got like a little tiny like drop of genius in there and I would love to see that blossom in the next whatever game they make yeah no totally and I think just in general I would like to see more PS2 throwback survival horror and especially if it's done like this like I've said before many times if it's genuine like yeah this is genuinely what they like and what they wanted to make. It's weird and it's kind of crappy, but it's awesome in its own way and it's just fucking real, you know? Yeah, the, this game has heart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Disaster Report 4. It, it was a fucking ride, for sure. Yeah, it, it's like the Japanese businessman with his sleeves rolled up and his tie is loose. And he's wearing, like, the hachimaki around his forehead, you know? Just go for it, man. (laughs) Go for it. Nice. 
Uh, four and a half stars. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> fuck you. That's such bullshit. Some of the star ratings you've given out to great games, you give this game four and a half stars. You're even more full of shit than the fucking morality points in this game, James. <laughs> hey, this is my opinion and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> okay, I give this game a hundred immoral points. <laughs> it means literally nothing. Game Club. Game Club. What's uh, what's coming up? Oh gosh. Oh uh, well. <laughs> speaking of a hundred immoral points, uh, <laughs> Ollie's favorite game, Night Cry. Oh uh, yeah, I'm already night crying over here, dude. You know what the fucked up thing is? Is that I'm. I feel like I might be the guy defending Night Cry. <laughs> the fuck, man. Dude, not excited be, for it. I'm gonna be that dude. And then after that, uh, a classic. Uh, 1992, uh, Alone in the Dark, nice. the true grandpappy of all survival horror. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's good shit. Um, Fuck yeah. And then, is Amnesia after that? Yep, Amnesia, free on the Epic Game Store for a while. Sick. You may or may not be able to pick that up uh, before it goes not free. But it's probably like a dollar when it's not free anyways. So fuck it. We're going to play yeah. Amnesia. It's been a decade. Ten years since Amnesia came out. So it's a good time to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. How has it changed horror gaming in the past ten years? Because this game made a fucking splash, y'all. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. that'll be a good discussion. Yeah. Alright, well, in the meantime, don't get fleeced at any convenience stores. <laughs> don't join any suicide cults. Yeah. We uh we want you to keep listening. <laughs> <laughs>